2: download the free anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started so what are you waiting for podcast stardom is within your reach do you read stephen king good news there's a club for you the losers club every friday us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of king's dominion we sink our teeth into each of king's novels dive deep into the lore and review every adaptation even better we're always having guests over Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert,
1: Mick Garris, the list goes on. So, what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast
2: Network And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. The interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, I'd like to thank you first for checking out the series. If uh, it's your first time here, you're not a subscriber, I do hope by the end of this at least you will hit that subscribe button. Of course, you can find us at all the major podcast hotspots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you like to get your podcast from. That's where you can find us. We'll bring you new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so you can keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. Kyle Meredith with wherever you get your podcasts. And that's me. I'm Kyle Meredith and today I'm going to be talking with Buzz Osborne. Back with a new King Buzzo released called Gift of Sacrifice. This sees him teaming back up with his uh, sometime musical collaborator Trevor Dunn for an acoustic record. And we'll talk about that. What going acoustic means for him as far as if it has to alter the way he writes a song. He'll tell us about being inspired by Miles Davis. And what sets this one apart, this release apart? uh, Acoustic bass, modular synth, we'll talk about alternate tunings, and then we'll talk about a whole lot of other things as well, how the Melvins uh, are extremely underestimated amid a uh, bad criticism, uh, unfair, unjust criticism, I should say. We'll talk a lot about science, evolution, and religion, and there's lots, lots of deep uh, roads into those subjects here, so let's get into it, and this record, Gift of Sacrifice, it's Kyle Meredith with Buzz Osborne this is Buzz. First off, Gift of Sacrifice has been a really enjoyable listen. Uh, I, I really love what you're doing with this. I mean, you've always done interesting music, and, and this goes with it. Um, as the story goes, for those who, who don't know, this is your 2nd Your build is your second solo record. Uh, yes. As you're joined by your friend Trevor Dunn on here as well, who you've played with in a couple projects. But... But this once again finds you in the uh, in the acoustic world. And, and for you, does that actually change how you write a song? Does the style of guitar actually, you know, alter the way you approach uh, how you put a song together?
1: Oh no, not at all. I write a lot of the Melvin songs on acoustic guitar or acoustically on an electric guitar, you know. I don't have to have some blasting amp as a matter of fact, most of the songs I write, no matter what, where they end up are not blasted through an amplifier at top volume. They're generally worked out on an acoustic or acoustic lee, And then I will record those riffs and then take them into practice where I will play them at a much louder volume. But we tend to rehearse at a quiet volume, almost enough to where you can talk over it. And we like to rehearse, especially at the beginning of rehearsals, without using a PA so that we can sing quiet enough to where we can sing without having a PA and it can, you can hear it. So the drummer plays lightly with brush-type sticks, and we play really quiet. And it makes it to where you can really, really hear what everybody's doing a lot better. And you get a lot tighter, and you get a lot more out of it. And you can talk as you're playing over the stuff without it. You know, I prefer that, for, especially for rehearsing new songs or new songs that you want to play live.
2: So, so then is this just about presenting it in a different way? Uh, you know, Presenting it as the acoustic side? Is that the point?
1: Well, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's another thing I can do without too much difficulty. Five years ago or so, six years ago, when I did my last one, uh, um, I wasn't really sure if that would work and it worked fine. I did a whole U- European tour, US tour, went to Australia, all that, you know? And uh, and it was a challenge. I don't have the other guys to hide behind. I mean, in the Melvins, I, right now I play with Stephen McDonald from Red Cross and, and Dale, who i played with since 1984. And, you know, with a rhythm section like that, it's difficult to lose. <laughs> you know, I mean, those guys are really good players. And so you're capable of, of as a unit, you're much stronger than any one individual person uh, in, in a band situation. So if you've got a good drummer and a good bass player, not unlike Led Zeppelin or The Who, you know, the songwriter is halfway there. And so that's made it a lot easier. So it was a lot easier as far as like, you can get up there and hide behind their talents to some degree, but when you've got an acoustic guitar and it's you with a microphone, that's it. It's a little more difficult. And I was up for the challenge, but you know I could take any Melvin song that we do and play them acoustically and have it be effective. I would just change out the stuff that wasn't really working and move the song around a little bit. Not unlike what Bob Dylan always has done or any number of other people who change things up. And at me as a fan, I don't mind it when people do that kind of stuff. I like it. Like, you know, if you gave Tom Waits an acoustic guitar and said play any of your songs, he'd be able to do it. It would be fine. It'd be really good, you know. That's kind of how what my attitude was towards the whole thing. And then adding Trevor Dunn on this record has just been up. It's just been a A plus next level type of thing, which is great, and I love Trevor to death. And uh, I think he's a super talented bass player and easy to deal with and uh my favorite thing that I got out of my relationship with Phantomas was my ongoing relationship with uh, Trevor Dunn.
2: You had mentioned Tom Waits and a few other people there. I, I've also, uh, I think I read somewhere that, you know, Miles Davis was mentioned uh, as well. And How does his influence factor into the record, if, if I did read that correctly?
1: Well, he's factored into a lot of our records for a long time, but mostly just the uh, electric era of Miles Davis. All a la big fun, bitches brew on the corner, especially on the corner. That's been a huge massive influence on what we've done for decades you know at least two and a half decades and uh i can't really stress that enough as far as that's concerned if people don't hear that I and mean, they should just listen to the drumming <laughs> we are all about that kind of stuff so um people tend to, to t- t- tend to uh, underestimate what we're capable of doing which is a mistake why do you think that is uh because most people that are writing reviews or writing reviews of concerts or records don't do their homework and aren't really fans at the beginning and are not going to become fans and so they generally when people like if if i tell you something you know this is true you should check you know uh, this is true and you look you go okay you'll immediately do a google search you will look as far as the answers that you want You will look no further than that and that's that tends to be what what people do with everything i don't think that's true you look up well there it is it's not true you know, well then behind that are fifty stories of saying that it is true, or fifty things that are telling you a whole different opinion or picture of what it is you're doing, or fifty albums by us that don't sound like the album that you just listen to. You have no idea what we're doing. You know, you've listened to two percent of what we've done and, and decided you know exactly what we're all about. You know, I just think, you know, what kind of people do you think we are?
2: <laughs> I was going to say, you, it's a, uh, it, it is interesting the way you, you do explain that because uh, obviously that is. I mean, as far as the internet goes, as far as news cycles goes, I mean, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for.
1: If you and they usually tend to look as far as what they're looking for, that cements what exactly they think, and then they move no further than that and look no further than that at all. And then tend to only read, which newspapers figured out a long time ago, tend to only read the first chapter or the first couple paragraphs when, in actuality, the devil is in the details. Right. (laughs) digging and then they're oh wait that's not exactly what i thought you know but that that tends to never happen so i have little to no i I don't i don't have much uh time for that kind of stuff just think okay you're an idiot and just leave it at that or you see a bad review and you go okay let's see what let's see let's look at what else this guy likes or girl likes and you go oh they like nothing but crap good well no wonder they don't like us I hate all the records they think are amazing. So there you go, it's not surprising. But we, we've literally had prominent magazines that shall go unnamed at the moment that have just said to our publicist, we will never write a good review of their band because we don't like them. It doesn't matter what they do. They have a stick up their butt about us. That's been the case for our entire career, one form or another, forever. Literally for the better part of 40 years, I've had to deal with that kind of bullshit. You know, that's how it works. Because, uh, I mean, you, you
2: even think like there's a chance when when the journalists are going to cycle out uh, a, as they do every few years, you know, they do um, it does. You know, the lifers, uh, you know, are, are few and far between. Uh, you know, I, I would I would assume that would offer more chances to get past that or something like that. That's that's really.
1: But there's been people that run magazines or owners who just said, no, no, nope, nope, nope. You know, super prominent drum magazine. Hated Dale, hated, hated, hated what he did. And until that guy, the owner or the manager was gone, the second he was gone, Dale was on the cover of the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> not just an article on the cover of the magazine, which that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But that's how it works. That's how it works. Passed over, which is, you know, I don't Thing is, is people would think that I, I, I oh, you must be bitter about that. Stuff. I'm, I'm not really, I'm just pointing it out. If I was bitter, I'd have quit a long time ago. I'm not bitter. I love what we're doing. I love the people that come and see us. I couldn't be more appreciative. I love making music. I love doing all this stuff. It's what I do. And I'm up for the challenge. And, you know, you, you, people, someone wants to debate me about any issue, music or otherwise, I'm I'm ready to go. <laughs> well,
2: you've already won. You're still here. You're still doing this. You're still yeah. putting out interesting, relevant music. So you win automatically. I appreciate
1: it. Thank you. Thank you. But we've operated like... Especially me, I've operated like I would like it. Other bands to operate, if I was a fan of that band, you know how I would like to see someone else operate is how we operate. That's it. What I would appreciate musically, fan wise, or musically uh, how they do stuff live or whatever, I would appreciate. I try to incor- figure out what that is and incorporate that into what we're doing, you know, because we're essentially music is art, and we we as artists want to. Contribute something to society that normal people don't get in their everyday lives. I want to, to give them something they don't normally get. And that's my entire job. And I'm up for that challenge. I will try to do that as best as I can.
2: I absolutely love that. So I'm going to use that, but ask a bit of a generic question uh, as we pull this back around to give to sacrifice in this record. Yeah. What are you offering this time that's different as you said, you know, you, this is the way you write songs a lot of time. That that part's not very different, yeah. you know, on the acoustic. What what are you offering different this time?
1: Well, just the addition of the acoustic bass on 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 my records is a big deal. We did that kind of thing with uh, Freak Puke, which is a Melvin's Light with Trevor, but it wasn't with acoustics. So I'm trying to offer something. Well, when I say I'm offering them something that they don't normally get in their and li- in, in people's lives, that would be. I'm imagining the vast majority of people out there don't listen to anything remotely like us. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm offering an alternative to what is normal out there. And I'm writing it in a way that I think is good. Not that I think they will like, but that I think I will like. And if I like it, I figure that other people will like it as well. Well, I'll put out
2: one of the, uh, you know, the, the additions to this, one of the things that makes this uh, somewhat different than anything, and, and it sounds so simple on paper, but it's really such a contrast. Is that you? You? It sounds like you purposely said, "Let's pair the modular synth with these acoustics." What drove you in yeah, that direction?
1: I, well, um, I got into modular synth stuff a while back from my bussy, buddy, buddy Jer- Jesse from Atlanta, and uh, uh, I realized that what I needed to do on my next acoustic record was do acoustic and modular synth. That nobody—I hadn't heard anybody do that—and so I was kind of interested in doing that sort of thing, and then. Later, I got the idea when I was planning my tour for this over a year ago, which was canceled. um, uh, I go, Trevor, me and you should tour together. And then maybe we can record a couple songs and we could sell like a tour-only EP on the tour, you know. And he was like, "Uh, uh, that sounds great. And then um, once he got out here, I go, well, try playing on one of these songs. And then he ended up playing on almost the whole record. That's why it's a King Buzzo record with Trevor Dunn as opposed to a King Bozo Trevor Dunn record, because we didn't write it together. You know, he wrote some of the stuff together, but by and large, the record was done before he added his parts. But I am not stupid enough to not include something that obviously makes everything way better, you know? So that's what I did. He's plays in the lion's share of the whole record, so fine with me.
2: Yeah, I'll ask this question knowing that I probably won't actually understand the answer, but I'm still interested in it. Uh, and I mm-hmm. say that in the in the fact that there may not be a follow-up question if I don't understand it. But but hearing about you talking about dreaming up a bunch of different tunings uh, yeah. for the record, uh, would you talk a little bit more about that? And, and when you, as you say, dreaming up the tunings, like, do you have to keep specific notes when you're doing that, when you're getting outside of the norms?
1: Yeah, I do. I always have. But what happens is, is that I'll discover things that somebody already discovered a long time ago. You know, just really, oh, I'm just tuning the guitar to fifths. That's what I'm doing. You know, but I don't read music or anything like that. So I'll just mess around with different tunings until I find something that sounds good, or start with an open E tuning and change it a bit, or you know, do a wide variety of things. We've always done that. I've done that since well, you know, late or mid to late '80s. Always change tunings. I don't understand why when people aren't or teaching someone to play guitar why don't they start with an open tuning you know if you don't play guitar i can have you play with an open tuning i can have you playing guitar in 5 minutes as opposed to them struggling along trying to learn these fingerings and all this weird stuff it's like they've lost it, they've lost the joy of what it is to make some kind of music on a guitar i can show you how to do that almost instantaneously and then maybe that, that would grow an interest in these people and they would take it from there then they can learn to do the fingerings or not or whatever there's no right or wrong way to do this you know, an open tuning. I wish someone would have showed me that from the beginning. It would have saved me a lot of trouble. You know, the Stones do it. They're in the business.
2: Richie <laughs> Haven's the king of it right there. When I watch him, right? it's just mind blowing. Like I, I do the same thing. Why didn't I learn that?
1: Yeah, it's fine. But, you know, I mean, if you want to play like something, you should play like that. You don't have to you have to learn the basics, you know, Segovia or whoever. Fuck all that. You know, if that's what you want to play. Then learn that. If you want to play some other kind of lead screaming lead guitar, listen to the guy's the Slayer. Don't bother learning a bunch of muddy water stuff. You know, there's no point. <laughs> you know, it's music. It's not ultimately important beyond that. You know, we do this as an extra thing in our life, and we are afforded that luxury. And music speaks to us in the most primal way, right into the middle of our hearts, and it always has since the dawn of time. What makes music cool? I don't know, but it's in my blood, you know? <laughs> There it is. That's like a Sean O'Connor talking about wise blood. You know, my blood's wiser than someone else's. You know, it's like it's in my blood. This is why. That's how it works. Pardon
2: the cliche, but I've always felt that's why the the line "It's only rock and roll" is such a powerful line because at one side it dismisses it from being too serious, but on the other side it says everything about its importance.
1: But I like it. <laughs> it's only rock and roll, but I like it. I mean, you know, what's the earliest form of music? Probably drumming. When did that start? Lord knows.
2: Yeah. I'll switch it in a little bit to the uh, you know, to, to what you're singing about uh, w- within the lyrics and, and actually I'm going to concentrate on a, on on one title. And and again, I'm going back to things I've read in the past where you said, you know, you, you're not in the past at least you've said this that you weren't a big fan of of writing topical or political or anything of that nature. But when you see a title like Science in Modern America, you know, of course I I get curious and like you know, what does that mean to you right now? Because I feel like that is a very hot topic, even if it's not specifically stating science. We now have an entire uh, population who might disagree with what we see as factual things.
1: Yeah, well, facts change. I mean, it, was, uh, how, it wasn't even that long ago that the world was flat, remember? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That all changed. And what did uh, Einstein say on his deathbed? All my theories are correct. I'm paraphrasing now. All my theories are correct as long as physics is exactly the way I think it is. If it's not, then everything I think is wrong. Right. That's it. That is it. If you are so rigid that you refuse to bend, then something like the Melvins never would have happened. You know, that's it. And with science, it's like science, is it's, it's, it's not exact. I mean, everybody understands what theory is and things like that. It's just it's like, you know, you can think that that's true. But things that you're doing now, 100 years from now, will be considered completely barbaric. Like, I don't know what, but like, they were drinking out of plastic. Everybody knows plastic causes cancer, you know, I mean, or whatever they're going to discover. You know, they were living in houses without virus scrubbers. Can you under, can you believe that? You know, you know what I mean? It's going to be all these things that we think that are so important at this point right now will be absolute barbarism in the future well you
2: know? then to double down on, on the question is that the, where you're coming from on that song just making sure i understand
1: uh, it could be you know i mean i just think it's not a it's, they say it's science but nothing's an exact science as long as we don't think that we're all that everything's gonna be okay we're okay it's life is a series of compromises there's no right or wrong you know it's just a compromise that's it we are flawed from the beginning then you take it from there children are born lord of the flies they have to learn how to be civilized. You know, that's how it was just like with our dogs. The older dogs teach the younger dogs how to act. That's it. Left to their own devices. It's Lord of the Flies. I and mean, then there's a bunch of stuff in there. I just try not to get too, you know, crazy about what is real and what isn't real. It's only real right now because we haven't thought of something better, you know. And if you're just looking at something like the perception of uh, something as simple as like, you know, the uh, uh, the resurrection or, you know. Or uh, uh, what is it that the uh, Christians believe they're going to be brought back to life? I can't remember the name of it. Um, But if you think of that in terms on a science level, then it's true. Because on a molecular level, you never really go anywhere when you die. And so that means your essence is here. And if, if they get smart enough, eventually they will be able to raise you from the dead. So science and religion in a lot of ways are really similar what they're thinking and how they operate is not a whole lot different from each other. And once we get to a point where those two things merge, that's when real progress is gonna happen to me.
2: You see what I mean though? Yeah, no, actually, so I was thinking, uh, there was an author, Daniel Quinn, uh, passed away a few years ago. He, he had wrote this story about um, an anthropologist who goes back in time and, and you know, is searching the world and he finally sees a blob out in the ocean. He says, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna, I'm going to interview that blob and ask him about his creation story. And the blob yeah. says, you know, yeah, the, well, there was a big bang. And, and then there were these tiny little molecules that met and everything. And, and, you know, and he goes through the whole story, as we've heard of evolution uh, from the single cells. And he said, and then eventually jellyfish. And he holds, you know, out his proverbial hands or whatever. Like the, and that's the end of the story. And jellyfish, because what could come okay. after
1: this? you know, it's- Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what could possibly happen after this? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, evolution, everybody believes in evolution. That just means change over time. That's all it means. There's nobody who doesn't believe in change over time. Even the church. They believe that. So this whole idea, you don't believe in evolution. Everybody believes in evolution. Everybody believes in evolution. Everybody does. You know, it's just that now you're going to get lost in the details of it. And then that's where all of it goes out the window. Both religion and science just goes right out the window. You guys are talking to me. I never went to church and I never went to college. So to me, they're both talking about the same goddamn thing. It's no different. Well, <laughs> they you know, the faith. Pullback- all of it is a leap of faith. All of it, you know.
2: Luxury of a, of a pullback view. I, I mean, everybody gets so trapped in the weeds. And if you're from the point of view that you're coming at where you weren't raised in the weeds in the same way, it's much easier to see that, you know, pale blue dot experience. Uh... Yes.
1: Yes. It's like when I went to when I went to Jerusalem, three religions intersecting at the same point, none of which I have anything to do with. And I'm see- as an outsider, I'm looking at you guys are talking about the same goddamn thing. Only you don't see that. I see it, it's no different. If I came from another planet, I would come down here and go, what are you talking about? You're talking about the same thing. That's the problem. People like Joseph Campbell understood that. You know, They understood, it. he understood it. He understood it decades ago, that that was the point of all this. And then the whole thing, whatever is good gets lost in the details. Of it, you know, and th- so that's what I've tried, not necessarily in that song, but you know, when I think about are you spiritual, it's like I'm not arrogant enough to say it's not possible for that to happen, you know, or or uh, who was it? Groucho Marx said the thing he hated about atheists is they talk about God too much, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not part of any of that. I don't feel any kinship towards any of those things. I also don't feel any kinship towards, uh, you know, race of any kind, you know, I think, you know, uh, uh, race pride is simply just, it's just it's just stupid. It's like, you know, I'm, I am Jewish, probably English and Italian. When I go to any of those places, do I feel like I'm home? This is where my people come from. No, that's not it. I'm not home in any of those places. I don't feel a kinship toward any of those people because of what's happened to them. I have my own experience living my own life in my own world. And I'm not going to get tarnished by the, by the the idiocy of the people that have come before me. I'm not going to do it, you know. I'm not going to, I don't feel a kinship to any of them or any anyone other than where I was born and how I grew up. That is my world and what I am. If I go and live in Italy, I will always be an outsider. doesn't matter what skin tone I have. You know, if I go and live in England, I am an outsider. That doesn't mean I can't make it work. I could make it work anywhere because I'm not stupid. But as far as like who I am, you know, Racial, looking at it from race or heritage is just stupid. To me, it's just stupid. You can go ahead and do that, but I'm not spinning my wheels like that. And I will not join in, you know, with that kind of insane tribalism. I can't do it. Just like with with science and religion, both of them have their points. I can't say this is right and this is wrong. I can't do it. I can't be involved in that. I just can't do it. Just like with the band, I can't be involved in all these other things that people want to lump us into. I'm not any of those things, you know? that's. I might I might have pieces and parts of me might be involved in those things but as far as like am I that thing I am not that thing I am my own thing. I don't and I, once again with Groucho Marx uh, I am a Groucho Marxist. I don't want to join any club that would have me as a member.
2: <laughs> Heritage is only a definition if you ignore you know, a few million years before that spot. What I mean is if I say my family is from Scotland, it's like, yeah, but they weren't, you know, just snapped into creation from there. Their family came from somewhere else in Europe and their family came from the Middle East and their family came from Africa and it's...
1: Who knows? As yeah, far as right. they were, as, far as we know, they were beamed down from another planet. We have no idea... <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people they don't want to get into those sorts of things, or they just look at you like you're an idiot, and and, you know it's like, no, you're really missing the what I'm saying. You're missing. Fortunately, you're picking up on what I'm saying, you know, which is good. But that doesn't always happen. So usually, I just keep my trap shut about all of it because I don't really want to get into it with people. I don't really want to start at square one. Why I think what I think, and it's a long, it's a long story. And I am complicated and moody when it comes to it.
2: because people are complicated and that's okay and, and that's i'm yeah. complicated and moody you
1: know? <laughs> it starts happening i lo- i get into a bad mood starts lo- i start
2: losing it let me uh, uh I'll, I'll switch back up because uh, i do want to hit on the album a little bit more here and, and, and to adjust the philosophy and yeah. you know it, this is sort of speculative question here too because you, you we hear these really cool and you know i i want to say sometimes carnivalesque instrumental breaks uh that kind of flow throughout the record when you you know you guys were going to play this live obviously that none of that's happening for anybody right now do yeah. you do you pay attention to those moments on a record like i'd wondered if something like junkie jesus gets to be something different you know when you take it out in that miles davis sort of way
1: oh it could be yeah we've never felt even with the melvins we've never felt that this you know that the songs are that precious. It's like they're merely suggestions and what can happen. You know, Bowie had a really good thing that I never forgot where he told Adrian Ballou, you know, here's the songs, play them like this or make them better. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, we'll play songs for a long time. I don't revisit my back catalog a whole lot. I'll go back and listen to a song we've been playing live for the last two years and go, you know, we are actually playing this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered it wrong, but whatever, that's okay. You know, there's no rules. I mean, I'm not going to get dragged before the committee somewhere. And just because it's on a record doesn't mean I have to do it like that. Or maybe I will. I don't know. You know, I mean, people like Alice Cooper never worried about that. Pink Floyd never really worried about it. And there's bands now. We want it to sound like the record. Well, good for you. You know, we'll make your records easier to play then. (laughs) That way you don't have to play to a bunch of fucking tapes. Or digital now. So it's not even tape. So. that's what you want to do, it's just not my thing. You know, we're bringing it back to its most primal level. No smoke and mirrors. What you see is what you get. If we can't make it work on that level, I don't really care. I don't go to big rock shows. You know, if I go to a hockey arena, I want to see hockey. I don't want to see a rock show. I don't like those places. I rarely ever do that sort of thing. I prefer the intimacy of what we were doing, you know, where we're doing it. That's what turned me on in the early 80s to punk rock. You know, that kind of thing. Although we still like stadium rock and all that kind of stuff. I still like all that stuff. I just don't prefer to go to it. I haven't for a long time. I'll go once in a great while, but not often. I don't care about rock show. It's a great show. Well, you know, no matter how big a show you have at your little at your little rock concert, it's not going to be as good as the stuff that Disney does. So why don't you just quit trying?
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll agree and say it's very, very so, rare. Much better. Yeah. I'll agree and say it's very rare that no matter how much I love a band that, you know, if it's at a stadium that I'll actually have the time that I expect to have like, like no matter how many times I've seen the who in the stadium, it's never the show I want to maybe and I'll, I'll say this. Springsteen did it. He did it for me, and that might be it as far as the stadium shows.
1: I saw Springsteen once. Uh, I thought th- a third of the show was really good. A third of it was pretty good, and a third of the show, if I'd had a deer rifle, I'd have killed him myself.
2: <laughs> well, the connection was there. I think is what I'm getting at. You know, music aside or anything like that. Like, but what I'm getting at is that I agree. It's it's extremely rare. The the stadium shows never work the way the 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 connection for me that not for, I, I never get yeah.
1: it. No, I never get it. I just, I, I find myself distracted, you know, and I really, honestly, even in a small place, I really only like a band for about maybe 20 minutes to 35 minutes, and then I've pretty much seen all I need to see, and I'm good. I would prefer watching a band play their best 40 minutes of music than 90 minutes, but we can't get away with that. People would get a much better show if they would let us do that, you know, and every band would. I don't understand three-hour concerts, it's, well, you know, a three-hour concert, a three-hour, con- oh God, you know, forget it nothing to do with it well let me give uh, I'll, I'll wrap here with the compliments
2: uh give the <laughs> sacrifice uh, it, once again uh, i love what you're doing uh, these days and i hope you continue to do it i don't know what the next steps are and i, I do want to see this live eventually
1: so uh thanks man thanks for what you do i think me and trevor want to make a whole new record and then tour that do That's it what that's what we want to do, and I really appreciate your support, and thank you so much. Anytime, Buzz. Thanks so much. Take care, ma'am. Talk to you later.
2: My thanks, Buzz Osborne, the new King Buzzo with Trevor Dunn. Album is called Gift of Sacrifice. Thanks to you as well for checking out this episode. Again, before you get out of here, do hope you'll hit that subscribe button. Find us at all the spots, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from right now. You can type it in. Uh, We'll bring you brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. WFPK.org. Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots as well, at Kyle Meredith. do hope you uh, like and follow along to keep up over there. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
1: Well, you know, rock and rollers being early, that must throw you for a loop. It must be the curvature of the earth. I, I, don't, I only know uh, whatever I can dr- w- drive to in a couple of uh, within a couple of minutes. That's it. I've forgotten everything else. I'm going to do this interview, then I'm going to go and play golf. I'm a professional, so I understand what it takes to, to work on that level. Just enough to make me look like an idiot. It's not hard to do. You can do it with almost anyone. You give me an interview with you long enough, I can make you look like a total fool. N- never let the truth get in the way. You know? I prefer to remember things my own way anyway. <laughs>